Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This Ben Jarofsky Show Bidding J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. The initials FBI conjure up distinct images of J. Edgar Hoover, Tommy Guns, and gangsters. But behind closed doors, you'll mainly find records. The FBI keeps A to Z files on people, places, and events, many of which become public over time. The Chicago Sun-Times has been collecting bureau files as they pertain to Chicago and Illinois, all compiled in a new database. Featuring religious figures and their followers, politicians, the media, and the mob, the villains, and the victims. This is FBI Files by the Chicago Sun-Times. Start your search today at suntimes.com. <laughs> is that Brian doing the talk? Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky. I was so impressed. That's like the most sophisticated introduction we've ever had to a show. It was Brian doing it? It was Brian Ernst of the Chicago Sun-Times. A.K.A. Look at the brain on Brian. Uh, Brian Ernst. All right, everybody. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. We That introduction sort of gave away what we'll be talking about. Uh, as I speak, it is, what's the day today, D? Thursday, September 19th, but it's bonus time. So who knows when you're hearing this? It's a podcast. Lord, Lord, Lord. will probably out, uh, survive us all. Anyway. Uh, as that introduction uh, says, the sometimes there's this new feature, which I read about. Of course, I'm the last to know anything because I get my news in the newspaper, right? <laughs> my news uh, arrives the day the paper. Does. So this thing had been out for about three days. But on Sunday, uh, September 15th, my beloved bright one dropped on my front porch with the front page saying the FBI files. Uh, and I immediately, I immediately, well, maybe not immediately, maybe it took an hour uh, texted or called the author of this story, <laughs> cut a deal with him right there and then to have him come on because this is this story is in my wheelhouse. So before we go any further, as we do on the Ben Jarofsky uh, Show bonus hour, I, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself and then we'll take it from there. So guest, introduce yourself. It's uh, my name is Bob Hergeth. I am a staff reporter here at the Sun Times. And yeah, you uh, you bugged me on the weekend. I'm like, why is this guy? What, what the hell does this guy want? And um, so I quickly found out um, he wanted to know if I had his FBI file. Um, and then he then he asked me on the show. No, I'm just kidding. But no, that's um, not. It's actually kind of true. 
Let me just like, tell you something, Bob. You didn't know this, but I this is I sit down uh, on the couch with my beloved bright one. It's, I'm not the earliest riser in the world. So you're talking about 11 o'clock in the morning, and I have a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. The music's in the background, and I Maureen O'Donnell can tell you this. Boom! I read a Maureen. Text yeah. to Maureen. Maureen, you got to come on the show. Danny Mahopoulos used to work for the bright one. Yeah. He used to get those texts from me. Danny, you yeah. got to come on. So anyway, you got your turn. Yeah, I think your question was: Do you think the feds know about? And I won't say what you asked, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. know what I did back in 1984. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, I don't even know what I did back in 19. I can't remember. <laughs> well, you need the FBI file then to inform you. <laughs> Could you help me out? Yeah, it's like yeah. a historical piece. Uh, all right. So anyway, it's the FBI files. Uh, uh, Bob Hergeth or Robert Hergeth, as his byline says, and this is, dude, hats off to you. This I I used to. This is one of those where I wish I had thought of this, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't. You thought of it, so God bless you, man. This is awesome. Tell folks uh, about the FBI files. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Um, so basically, this is a database that is on our website, sometimes dot com. That uh, um, sort of my baby, and um, what it includes is uh, I don't know about one hundred twenty. Uh, files, uh, federal files on people of interest to uh, Chicagoans, to Illinois. Um, most of these people, if not all at this point, are, are deceased because not that the FBI doesn't keep files in the living, but they're very difficult to get on the living, but they're easier to get on um, on the dead. So even though they do come with uh, redactions, uh, lines blacked out uh, in most cases. And so I've just, I've been collecting these for a couple of years. My last place of work, I worked at a nonprofit that did uh, investigative journalism in Illinois, and I actually had uh, built a smaller version of this that didn't really have legs. And so when I came here, this is one of the uh, databases and digital sort of products I wanted to build here. And it took me a couple of years to coalesce all this. And it sounds like, well, 120 doesn't necessarily sound like a lot, but actually it is. I mean, these are very, many of these are difficult to get. They take forever to get. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, and I got them either through Freedom of Information Act, which is like the uh, government's, you know, or the uh, federal uh, open records law that guarantees access to public records. So you can make a request under that law and obtain certain files. Some are sort of uh, hidden away on the uh, FBI's website itself. They have what's called a vault. And, and so I downloaded some from there. And some I've had squirreled away or my work partner, Tim Novak, had squirreled away for like literally like decades in paper form that we scanned and uploaded. And we, you know, popped it onto this um, database that a couple of uh, my colleagues uh, actually physically built. And then I, you know, sort of uploaded things and there it is. So it's just, you know, it's a, um, to me, it's a really cool thing because it shows, um, you know, uh, how, say a politician operated in, you know, in the old days or not that old days. Judy Bartopink is on there. You know, she's not from that, that far back, but then you also have like, you know, the first mayor daily and you've got Oscar de priest who was the first, uh, I believe the first, uh, uh, black congressman post reconstruction. And, you know, he's from Chicago and he was getting death threats. And so, um, you know, I collected a lot of this stuff. So some of it's historical, some of it's very revealing, um, a lot of criminals and villains, but also victims of crime. You know, some congressmen got a, a death threat that, 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 would um, garner, you know, a mention in a file or the creation of a file that the FBI would keep. Um, and some people are just notable people. The feds, you know, they information is power, right? And, and the FBI was all about power and information. So they would keep files on people, whether they did, did something wrong or not, or were a crime victim or not. And just because they were 
maybe some somebody of influence or power, you know, in the media or uh, Hollywood or politics or unions or business or whatever. So uh, that's my quick rapid fire summary. All right. Well, let me uh, break down on some of the things you said. Uh, let's start off with. Uh, obtaining the documents you yeah. said FOIA uh, Freedom of, of Information Act request lead folks through the process uh, most people uh, Bob have no idea what a reporter goes through when he or she uh, files under FOIA yeah uh, it's one of my favorite topics I know it is Dan <laughs> you're the only I, one <laughs> the only, the only one that, that finds it interesting <laughs> I find it fascinating <laughs> and I find it fascinating I you, he's you've already heard me on this but I find uh, Dan Mahopoulos and I would have many conversations about this because the the law is intended to open uh, to create transparency and allow people to see how their government operates when in fact it's generally used and this is the part I find fascinating mm -hmm. as a tool to keep people from seeing how their government operates isn't that interesting Orwell would have a field day with it anyway all right so take folks through uh, what it's like what you have to do to fi file a FOIA request to get FBI files yeah and federal wise they call it FOIPA but either way same thing basically again every state in the nation and then the federal government government has, they have laws, open records laws, which abbreviated as FOIA or pronounced FOIA. And uh, under that law, it entitles the public and the press, anybody to uh, put out a request and obtain records that they're looking, that you're looking for, whatever it is, you know? Um, and um, so to the FBI, the way it works now, you used to be able to like send a request into the actual field office in Chicago, say, or the field office in LA or wherever. And now things have, in the past few years, they've gotten harder and gotten easier in some ways. Now, um, at least as far as I know, you know, foying the um, field offices in Chicago is going to get you, is going to delay things as opposed to speed them up. There's sort of a centralized process online um, that you can fill out a form. And uh, that's online. Typically, I don't like doing forms, but I, I like to sort of write them out in my own words. But you can kind of fashion the forms uh, how you'd like and uh, submit it electronically. And um, but the difficulty is, you know, a lot of people that don't understand open records, they think you can ask for sort of uh, ask a question. You know, uh, FOIA really guarantees access to documents, not necessarily an answer. <laughs> so you got to, you know, you got to know that just for the you know, sort of un uninitiated. But anyway, so you ask for the file in this dead person, presumably of note, you have to explain who they are a little tricky because you have to include a date of birth. So you know that that John Smith is the, the right John Smith you're after, you know, so it makes sense to pinpoint the person you got to put a DOB and if, po and if possible, a date of death. Um, the person hasn't died yet. You can still request it. They're probably going to deny you unless you have a letter from the, the alive person saying, no, give this, give this guy up my FBI file. And that rarely happens. It's only happened to me, I think, once in my career. It was an insane story. But anyways, um, but uh, for, for the purposes of this, the person's dead. And then you also have to upload sort of proof of death. What does that mean? Well, if you can get a death certificate, that's one thing. But even like an obituary, you know, that was written about the New York Times, the Sun Times, whatever, showing, you know, John Doe died, you know, you create a PDF and you can upload it into the electronic submission form and send it along. And then, you know, you might, it generally will take at least, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of half guessing here, but maybe three months at the earliest you'll get it back. But I mean, I've had some that have, uh, that are, you know, years, literally years and not just like two years, but like five years, you know, or at least that's the projected response date. I mean, and uh, it takes a long time. To Wait, get so these. time out. You have 120 people in this 
file in this, uh, the FBI file that you created, correct? Yeah. So you're telling me it took three months for each one of those 120 people to get the file back or it took up to three months? No, it took at least three months. Um, but, but, but I, you know, I staggered him. I, I would sit up at night in front of the TV with my laptop and put out, you know, 10 FOIA requests or something. So you put them out, you know, you can submit so, multiple ones. And so for all these 10 FOIA requests, you had to get death certificates or proof of death? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I submitted any death certificates, but I'm saying that is an option. But for, for us, it was more realistically, it was like a news clippings, you know, obituaries that were written about. And presumably um, there would be some FBI clerk or some FBI agent who would read, <laughs> just thinking about my tax dollars at work. Yeah. In other words, there would be some guy who would read, like you would say, I want to read, I want the uh, the the FBI file on Mayor Richard J. Daly. And then so you would send a copy of the new, the Daily News article about <laughs> Mayor Richard J. Daly dying in 1976. There'd be some clerk in Quantico. Uh, give me credit for knowing it's hey, Quantico. Quantico I know. congrats. Well, I just, I've been watching, um, <laughs> what's it called? Uh, Mindhunter. Anyway, yeah. in Quantico, uh, that would be, oh, okay, well, Ergeth proved that. Yeah. I could, th- is that how it works? Yeah, I presume. I, I mean, once I send it, I really don't know how the heck it, it works that much. Although I do sometimes have phone contact with the people there. By the way, Mindhunter, there are a couple serial killer files in here, so we can we can talk about that later if you want. Um, di- I digress. But Richard um, Speck in here. Speck's in there. Uh, Andrew Cananen, although he's more of a spree killer. Dahmer, I've got his file. Gacy. Um, so yeah, there's some really horrible, right, we'll creepy people. The, have you watched Mindhunter? Uh, I've not, but I've read the book. If it's the same, yeah. Well, by the FBI guy, yeah. The, the FBI guy who they've really taken it in a whole different direction. But anyway, yeah. we're in a tangent with it. You just hit on the one book I've read <laughs> <laughs> in any recent past. Uh, uh, so back to where you were. So in other words, that's the process. It's a it it really forces you to do some work. Yeah, you have to it, because which is fine because they got to be able to pinpoint it. They got tons of records. I'm sure there are, you know, numerous people making these requests and for, you know, for various reasons and so you want them to take you seriously. They want you to, you don't want to get the wrong file on the wrong guy or something. So, um yeah, so you it does take a little bit of work and sometimes you got to hunt down a date of birth. I mean, it's not necessarily easily ob- obtainable or frankly proof of death. Um so there is a little box in the electronic form where you can kind of type in some extenuating circumstances like, hey, look, if you Google the guy, you know, you'll see he's dead. I can't find, you know, an actual proof or anything, but he died. You know, he was born in 1805. And therefore, I presume that you, you would know he's dead by now. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm exaggerating, but, you know, some, <laughs> yeah. something like that. So and sometimes they play ball. I mean, they're actually um, I found them remarkably professional to deal with. I mean, and they'll you know, if. They'll, they'll get back to me and they'll be a little haggling sometimes, you know, like, well, if you want the full file, it'll take five years, you know, but if you want, you know, the first portion of the first file, you know, you know, uh, I can get it to you, you know, significantly, you know, within six months or whatever it is, you know, and then also, oh God, I don't have it. I should have brought it with me. I also <laughs> money too. I mean, sometimes they'll, you know, you know, we, I've tried to ask for, you know, um, exemptions from paying fees and I always get denied. So it just kind of slowed things down. So I, I'm, I tell them I'm willing to pay, you know, up to 50 bucks. And I got this letter recently emailed. Um, I forget, actually, I don't, don't forget. I don't want to say it on, <laughs> on air who it is, but it was, I, I put a request in for somebody cause I'm going to write about them. And it was like over $20,000 they wanted for this guy's file. I'm like, Okay, so <laughs> wait. So the way that is it a, uh, a transactional thing? In other words, do they say if you pay me twenty grand, we'll give it to you, or do they give it to you and say that'll be twenty grand, please? Well, they 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 alerted me in advance that okay. it's going to be this if you want it. So, but you know, in you know, I'm not going to 
you know, I'm trying to be honorable with people. I'm not going to screw them. But it's like, you know, at that time, at that time, <laughs> the FBI. Just the shit out of me. But yeah. no, I'm just kidding. But um, no, but you know, so it's like, that's not, that's not workable, obviously, in any yeah. universe. And frankly, I don't think it was, it's very fair given we're operating in the public interest and we're, you know, you know, sort of representatives of the, the public in a way and all that. So, but it, there is an expense on their end, obviously, they have to hire staff to root through records and read through records, black out records, lawyer it up, and then send it along. So I get that, but um, actually, so- they don't have to do any of that. I I, I want to disagree with you. They don't have to hire anybody. Do they? You don't have to black out records. These people are dead. <laughs> what are they protecting? Wait a us second. From? Let's get back to your FBI file. Are you sure you want that all out <laughs> unabashed? Are I'm you not sure? alive anymore. <laughs> I don't care. So, you know, I mean, uh, they're not there to complain. Anyway, sorry, no. we're not a field. Well, yeah, there, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, obviously as a uh, as a journalist, a proponent of transparency and in all that. But uh, you know reasonable expenses I, I get, but the 20 grand plus. Yeah. And um, so I'm, you know, so then you got to call them on the phone and kind of finagle or write them back and say, well, look, you know, here's what I'm willing to pay if anything. And, you know, come so on. You can negotiate with them. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they're, you know, if you're reasonable with them, I mean, they're, you know, so I have, I, I honestly, like, I, I, you know, the FBI gets a bad rap sometimes and sometimes obviously rightly so, especially if you read some of these crazy files of them spying on, you know, Americans, but, um, you know, back in the day and, uh, but they've, in terms of dealing with them, they were, generally pretty reasonable. So in the $20,000, uh, just minus that, <laughs> did, did they come, how much did they come down to? You know what? Uh, it's not been resolved yet. Wow. There's so it's in way. process. <laughs> but so, well, that's the other, but this speaks to another point to be somewhat self promotional here. But I mean, this is a, this is a database that's going to keep growing. It's going to grow into the future. It's going to grow, um, you know, Hopefully, so even after I'm here, it. I'm still collecting so files. Like I uploaded two this week. TV shows, and you'll be still downloading. These That's right. Or sending every night in front of the TV. Um, <laughs> you, it, wait, wait, time out. Did you just say you just did two more requests this week? No, I obtained two more, uh, or I uploaded two more files just this week. So last week we launched with 115 files, and I just the past couple of days I popped up a couple more files. Wow. So it's going to keep growing. That's not going to be like every day a new file because these are these are hard to get. But I've got numerous ones out there, and we're going to keep. Growing it is, you know, and we say FBI files, but if you, if you, you know, the the caveat is they won't all be necessarily FBI files, you know. Um, in fact, some of them up there are not because the FBI was not created until I forget the date, but before that it was I think called the the Bureau of Investigation or something like that that J. Edgar Hoover did oversee, but it was the FBI's sort of predecessor. And some of the records actually are so old they date back to that. Um, and then also, you know, if we get records from other federal agencies, you know, DEA or you know IRS or something, I mean, we're not that's not going to preclude us from uploading it. So I mean, we we call it the FBI files, but and it's predominantly that. But you know, I'm going to kind of like be open minded about how to grow it and what to include in the future. The only promise is it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, at least a lot of it. Yeah. All right. Now go back to you, you started down this path and let's take a little further excursion before we take the deep dive in some of the files, the why, why did the FBI collect files on American citizens? Well, it's in general American citizens, but then of course we're talking about mainly Chicagoans. That's uh, what you're concentrating on Chicagoans. So why? Why did they collect these files on American citizens? Well, I mean, like I said before, information is power, right? I mean, that's, you know, I mean, um, and so the FBI is in the information gathering business, I mean, as, as we are, right? So, and so you want to know, um, they wanted to know, um, especially in the era of fear. I mean, we're in a new era of fear in a different way, maybe. But back then, the era of fear was all about communism, say, right, from 19... 
whatever during World War II, well, actually pre World War II, up on, all the way up until you know, you know, post Vietnam, you know, and into the eighties, and that was that was the that was the fear. So you know, communism, and so a lot of these files relate to the FBI keeping tabs on people who were considered subversive. You know, because they were left leaning or they were communist or they were socialist or they were suspected of being that. I mean, Leon Dupre, who we talked about uh, prior to our broadcast here, former longtime liberal um, city council icon, you know, Fifth Ward, Hyde Park. um, And uh, he's got a file. Guy lived to what, 100, right, or thereabouts and um, dying, you know, a few years ago. And, um, you know, it was a file in him and, and part of what they, you know, were sort of looking at is, is this guy a communist? And, you know, uh, is it illegal to be a communist? No, you know, it's America, but they wanted to know um, because it was seen as subversive to uh, our democracy. This is, uh, I, I told you this uh, uh, as well, uh, last week's guest, Leonard Goodman, uh, Bukoyevich's lawyer, among other things, and I were uh, taking the deep dive on Jeffrey Epstein and our theory was, or the working theory we were investigating was whether Jeffrey Epstein was in fact collecting uh, dirt on prominent people uh, that could be used to blackmail them on behalf of the CIA or the national security state. So is there any evidence, updating, the, bringing this over to your FBI files, is there any evidence in any of the files you've obtained that the FBI try to use this material to type, squeeze something out of prominent people? Because not obviously of the 120 people you have in here there's some who have absolutely no leftist leanings that would warrant right yeah it's not obviously that's not everybody that's a segment of of these files and um well i mean blackmail i mean that's i mean that's i'm sure there's there are instances of that in history there's nothing that comes to mind right now with me but there's nothing what, so in other words you never you haven't seen any evidence of well what well, there's well let, let me say this there, there's one file in there that talks about sort of you talk about subversive activities some of the fbi's subversive activities beyond frankly spying on americans but you know for instance in the john cardinal cody file which is you know again if you're catholic in chicago there's a uh, you know the cardinal is sort of like the top churchman in the uh, in the region he's appointed by the pope he's a, he's a the top priest sort of. And, you know, right now the guy's name is Cardinal Supich. Before him was Cardinal George. Before him was Cardinal Bernadine. Before him was Cardinal Cody. Wow. Cody. Was, by the way, very, it's like me going down on the alderman of the 15th <laughs> ward. That was, how far back Dude, did you go? 13 years of Catholic school. You don't think I know that? Come on. Wait, Loyola? I went to Loyola Academy. How did I know that? He went to Loyola Academy, man. You yeah. can just tell he went to Loyola. Yeah. How far can you go back with Cardinals? Go. Oh, no, that's it. That's it. I know. That's it. Because <laughs> that, that's on, my man. lifetime. But Wait, Cody, time out. Which is the last one you named? You went You went from Co- Supich to... Cody. Cody. That's it. You don't know who was before Cody? Um, I don't know in order. Uh, Not in order. There's Mundelein. There's um, Stritch. There's... I don't know. And then there's Commander Cody. Sorry, bad joke. Go ahead. Go back to yours. <laughs> so anyways, but in, in the Cody file, for instance, it, it so, you know, you asked about blackmail, but I, you know, I, I would just say this, that in the file, it's, it's, um, it doesn't even necessarily really deal with, you know, Catholic matters, even though he's a Catholic churchman. What it shows was that the FBI was trying to undercut and subvert Martin Luther King in Chicago and elsewhere. So, you know, um, so I would just, you know, sort of categorize that and classify that as dirty dealing, you know, so it does reveal dirty dealing by the FBI in some instances. So that file is actually super interesting. And um, to me, at least just because I'm sort of a student of religion and I've covered religion. um, And it's to me, it's a fascinating topic that 
most people don't care about, but I think it's really interesting and, you know, sort of moves the world in good and bad ways. And so I, I like studying that stuff. And so this file on Cody, um, is revealing and it talks about how the an FBI official met with Cody and again why would you keep a file on a churchman because he's a person of influence and power and um, so you um, you know you want to know you know who he is and what he's about and so that's what the feds did so there was an FBI FBI guy that met with Cody and they talked about King in civil rights. This is about obviously in the sixties. So King's alive because he died in 68. And so it's before that. And they met and they had this candid conversation where Cody said he didn't trust King and didn't really like King and was sort of, even though Cody had a reputation of being sort of uh, progressive on, on civil rights and racial matters before he came to Chicago, I think he was in new Orleans or somewhere in Louisiana. And he, his record was progressive when he got here he sort of tapped the brakes a little bit. And um, so he confided this in this FBI guy and the FBI guy wrote it down and, you know, put it part of his file and where he didn't necessarily like King because King, he thought sort of double crossed him on, they, they had met and talked about some things and then it was supposed to be private and King briefed the media about it. Um, and then he also confided that he thought some of his priests were being a little bit too aggressive on the civil rights front. Um, and he wanted to sort of, you know, kind of, slow him down a little bit without appearing to be, um, you know, uh, racist, I guess, or, or at least, you know, anti civil rights. And, um, so obviously, you know, in hindsight, that's clearly well, the wrong I'll, side of history. I'll read to you, uh, the uh, quote from, this is part of the story that, uh, alerted me to what you were up to and got me to call you. I'm going to read you, this is from, uh, Bob Herget, the Robert Herget's uh, article, uh, September 15th in the, in the Sun Times. Uh, he's talking, he's in the FBI files. Cody also told an FBI official quote, he was worried about the presence of Reverend Martin Luther King in Chicago and had met him and was not impressed in quotes. The FBI records show quote, he felt King was not a truthful man. The memo said, citing a meeting between Cody and King that the Cardinal said was supposed to be a private chat, but which King briefed reporters about quote, his excellency is a very forceful individual. And from his comments and demeanor, I feel certain that he will do everything possible to neutralize King's effect in this area. The official wrote that is pretty daunting stuff there. That's the FBI official writing someone else higher up in the chain at the FBI that suggesting that Cardinal John Cody would be an instrument in the FBI's uh, fight, a war, whatever you want to call it, against a counterattack against Martin Luther King. And I know, Bob, you know all about this, but I'll just tell our listeners that the FBI waged quite a, an aggressive counterattack against King. Uh, they were f- uh, taping uh, his bedrooms, his phone calls, and then mailing copies of the tape to King uh, with the letters saying, hey, you're a fraud, you're a phony, we'd be all better off if you weren't here. Like, if they wanted him to commit suicide. So, it seems as though they were thinking about enlisting Cardinal Cody in these efforts. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly that's the way it um, comes across. And then also, there were, I think there's some news clippings, and again, I apologize, my memory isn't, there's like tens of thousands of pages in here, so I might have this a little off, but there's, I think there are news articles also contained in this file with Cody, and this issue that we're talking about now sort of blew up a little bit in the 70s. Now, there was some congressional activity, maybe a hearing mm-hmm. where 
um, this memo was actually made public and in part of a larger um, effort. There was another um, Catholic archbishop along with Cody who was alleged to have been sort of roped in by the FBI to try and undermine um, King, help them undermine King or something like that. And it blew into congressional hearing. So this stuff was made public. And then Cody at the time is still alive and, you know, said he didn't remember saying any of this stuff or whatever, but, um, and it was even written about in the paper sometimes. So, I mean, that is full disclosure with some of these, um, FBI files, they contain old news clippings and some of them have been written about. It's not all new news, but certainly, yeah. Um, you know, like I'm a student of history and religion in Chicago for that matter. And this was news to me. And, um, even though it did garner a little bit of news attention back in the early seventies or whatever it was. So, um, um, but there was that. So yes, I mean, the FBI, some of its, <laughs> some of its tactics are, are definitely on display, which is the beauty of this part of the reason why I did this. I mean, part of it is just, it's just, I like to take a look at like, what is a big lump of records out there that people do not have access to, or at least not easy access to. And here, here they are. Um, a B also, you know, uh, even some that are out there floating around, even on the FBI's own website, they have some and, 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 you know, to their credit, I mean, although they might be compelled to be doing this by law, but I'm not sure, but, but to their credit, they, you know, they, they do release these and they, they are of their whole, are a bunch on their website. Um, they're accessible, but what I've also done is try and coalesce these through Chicago, Illinois lens, which, you know, um, so it's more germane to us and our readers. And it's, it's a tool of just pure transparency, no matter what the files show, but it also does show some of the tactics of the FBI and their interests of the FBI. And it's also a historical thing, just there's value in history, but it also though sheds a light on, you know, public figures, you know, government officials, a lot of these files relate to members of Congress, mayors, you know, aldermen, stuff like that. So like these are, are, quote unquote public servants. So it's like, and guess what? Here's, you know, here's a, here's a way to look at them through a different lens. All right. And let's, so let's take a, uh, uh, take a closer look at some of the people, uh, that are in the file. Let's start off. Number one, Colonel McCormick, you have actually have a hard copy of that. Uh, first of all, explain to our listeners. I know our millennial listeners have no idea who Colonel McCormick is. Uh, maybe some of our baby boomers may not know either. Uh, Bob is um, unbelievable as that is someone like me who grew up, as I like to say, in a very uh, liberal New Deal Democratic household where we uh, don't hold this against me, Bob. <laughs> Could not stand the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> Loved the Chicago Daily News and the Sun Times. When I say it's my beloved bright one, I'm not kidding. Yeah. We would read it back in the day. Yeah, me too. That's how I hated grew up. the Tribune. All right, Agreed. just putting that out there. So explain why a New Deal uh, liberal Democrat would not like the Tribune through Colonel McCormick. <laughs> would you do that for me, please? <laughs> I will try. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the Tribune, again, you, you talk about like media barons of today and how a lot of them are such goofballs, right? But like there were goofballs way back when too. And Colonel McCormick, I, I would consider that, you know, I mean, the guy was, you know, mega rich, uh, his family owned the, uh, the Chicago Tribune among other, uh, media properties. I think it was New York Daily News too, WGN, that whole, those properties at least for a time. And, um, so they were sort of like some of the original sort of media barons and, uh, and he, you know, took control of the company as he got older and, um, you know, was, uh, was just a very odd duck, kind of a citizen Kane kind of character. And, uh, he, uh, um, very conservative. I actually think he was in the city council briefly. Um, I did not know that yeah, he, was he was an a, alderman. Yeah. He was an alderman, um, for, for, 
some period back in the day. How did I not know that? Yeah. Because you I'm didn't like, read his FBI file. <laughs> That's how. I should have read his FBI file. I see. I like to pride myself. I'm like you with uh, Chicago Cardinals. I can go back in time, you know, but somehow or other. What, do you know what ward he was from? 42nd? Uh, I don't know. Let me look. But anyways, I thought, he lived, I thought the, the, didn't they live away up north in um, Cantigny? Some, yeah, just uh, south of the Wisconsin border. They had this huge ranch or farm or something like that. The McCormick's did. Yeah. That was my memory of it anyway. Where was it? Cantigny out west. Was, oh, was that, that where it is? I think I may be All mixing right. it up. But right. yeah, he was. So he was a very colorful, decades long, powerful media slash business figure, very influential in politics, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, um, so he, he, he's got a big, thick file. So about literally... 20 plus years ago, I was researching him just for like a little component of this larger book project that fell into flames and never <laughs> got off the ground. But anyways, so I kept the file and um, I have a hard copy of it that every time I open it, I start sneezing because it's got <laughs> kept the dust. file, but they didn't get the book. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the book deal, but uh, but not on him, but he was just part of it. But anyway, so yeah. um, so it's uh, so I scanned it and uploaded it and it's on the uh, on the database. But if you kind of cull through it and some of it's actually difficult to read because it's so so freaking old but uh there's uh you know there's he, he's germane because again powerful figure influence influencer right of the public and um you know and also very uh political and partisan you know so he's got a file and, and also even back then i mean it's sort of revealing in a way because nowadays like um you know we get um uh you know threats or at least nastiness from readers sometimes when we do stories um Somebody last year, no, maybe two years ago, uh, requested that I burn in hell. And um, so uh, hopefully not <laughs> did, did, anytime soon. Did and he put his name on it? No, it was verbally over the phone. I see. And, um, so, but actually, and side note, interestingly, relates to somebody who's in the uh, in the database, but I'm not going to say who. But um, the uh, but anyway, so uh, the uh, so McCormick file um, talks about some of his controversial remarks. It's there were a lot of threats to to him or to the newspaper, including one here. I, I've got it in front of me, the hard copy. You can hear me flipping the paper here. Uh, and to you, Colonel Robert R. McCormick, you loud barking, dirty mongrel. <laughs> I say that notwithstanding yeah. the fact that your paper has a circulation today of over, and it's sort of hard to read here, but I think it says like 900,000, which is like fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, within a year from now, your subscription list will go down to 500,000. It's like, and looking back through time, it's like, no, we'd kill to get yeah, it. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Me, sounds yeah. pretty good. What um, year is this? Uh, it's from 1959. I, I think. see. So that's just one little thing. So basically, like nasty notes and threats. So how did the FBI? Here. How did how did the FBI get a hold of that? Well, probably because they turned it over to them to investigate. Ah, There's point. also news clippings in here. This is from the AP and uh, the Associated Press, where it's from. Oh, jeez, 1944. So during World War II, and uh, McCormick. Uh, at a speech to, I think, the Rotary Club, said that there are not more than one million United States citizens who are communists, and they dominate our government. So, um, well, he was uh, anti-intervention before the war, uh, World War II. That is a fiercely anti-communist his whole life. I'm trying to f figure out why the FBI would spy on him, other than just to, as you point out, just in general, they spy on people to gather information. He's well, is it spying? I mean, you know, I mean, maybe they were. I don't know, but I mean, keeping a file on somebody is that does that equate to spying? 
I mean, were they looking in his windows? Were they tracking his whereabouts? To me, that's more spying. I mean, I know I get your point. That's a valid distinction. All right. Why then let's just put it this way. Why would the FBI bother to even keep a file on Cody? Why would they bother to clip an article? You mean McCormick or or Cody? Uh, My bad, McCormick. Uh, Why would they bother to clip that he gave a speech in which he said that there were X amount of of communists in the State Department, what have you, whatever the speech said. So my point is, you're right, I, I should... Uh, edit my comment and say they weren't I don't know that they were literally spying like listening to his phone conversations but they were keeping a file on him they were gathering information public information were putting it in one place so I don't know what the point of that would be why would they do that for a private citizen well because like I said that's what they did you know it's because that he was a man of influence and he was not just a man of influence so I mean you gotta so you've gotta know who you're enemies or potential enemies or even friends are right in their mind. I'm not justifying it, but I'm just saying that's their mind. One other point here as I'm paging through, mm-hmm. um, you know, J. Edgar Hoover was again, the long time head of the FBI and, uh, it even at its inception, even before its inception his predecessor, predecessor organization. And there's a letter here. Um, I think it's to editor, editor and publisher magazine, 1938, 58. I can't read this anyway. So, and, uh, he, it was a long time ago where, um, no, 38, it must have been. So it's this letter from J. Edgar Hoover to editor and publisher magazine, which is like sort of a trade publication in the media industry. Um, I think it's still around. And so McCormick apparently had some interview or article in there where he alleged that the feds, uh, you know, basically killed Dillinger like purposely and like covered it up and like. It, there was some conspiracy involved with John Dillinger, who, of course, is the sort of, a, you know, um, you know, infamous bank robber who was gunned down near the Biograph Theater back, you know, back in the day in, in the sort of the bank, the front page era of, uh, of journalism and, uh, you know, the, the, the Capone era of, uh, of Chicago. And, uh, and so Hoover, the article pissed off Hoover so much, he, he wrote editor and publisher and tried to clear up some of his. Um, facts like, for instance, that he was that apparently McCormick said the Dillinger was killed from behind, and uh, he sort of disputed it, but sort of not really. And then you know pointed out that Dillinger had a gun and it was loaded, and so they feared for their lives and um, all this kind of stuff. And then at the end, he sort of trashes McCormick. You know, uh, I of course do not know where Colonel McCormick secured his information. I am sure, however, that he's either been misinformed or did not take the trouble to check the statements which appeared in the October one issue uh, as they relate to the apprehension of Dillinger. Um, you can readily appreciate how unfair it is to the FBI to have such unwarranted information disseminated, charging the Bureau with shooting Dillinger in the back when unarmed and then conveying the veiled inference that Dillinger was shot in order to prevent him from discussing or relating information regarding the unlawful activities of others. With best wishes and kind regards. J. Edgar Hoover. Wow. And, um, <laughs> they kept the J. Edgar Hoover letter. That's funny. They were spying on J. Edgar Hoover. No, I don't so, know. Do you think J. Edgar himself said, put this in the file? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that was just pro forma. You just do it. You know, if there's communication and there's, and that's the other thing in these files, there is a lot of freaking communication between Hoover and people individually. Like even there's one now I forget which file it is, but there was one where some like student, like I don't know if he's in high school or she and grade school where, but it was somebody studying something for history, wrote Hoover asking for information about whether someone was really a communist because they'd read it in the paper and Hoover, it ended up in the person's file and Hoover wrote the person back saying, Oh, we can't really discuss this, but thank you for writing it. Like, it's like, there was like a lot of, I mean, this guy was, I don't know if he's a control freak, you know, traditional sense or just that was 
you know, yes. how we did business or whatever. <laughs> I mean, we all know that he was, he was a strange dude and did some horrible things. Um, but, uh, but there were some very, a lot of very personal, I mean, hands-on stuff that this guy did, mm. Hoover. Yeah. And uh, now, is there, was there uh, any suggestion in the, the Colonel McCormick file uh, that the FBI may have been looking for something? Uh, any, you, you know, like, obviously it wouldn't be communist, communist uh, connections because he was as, probably as anti-communist as Jager Hoover. Right. But was there any, or was it just as you say, gathering information for the sake of having the information because uh, information is power or was there, did there seem to be an objective to it all? No, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly all. can't speak to it that well. I mean, obviously they, they reported things during the war that were controversial at the Tribune that, you know, and I think that he, he really butted heads to not like Roosevelt. And so there were, there were a lot of reasons to, um, be interested in Colonel McCormick back then and, you know, running one of the most influential media companies in the country, um, you know, having a lot of influential friends, um, being in big business, um, you know, and cause, stirring up trouble through yeah. the newspaper, you know, and in uh, politics for that matter. So there's a lot of reasons they would have been interested in him, even if their interest did technically overlap on some issues. All right, let's uh, lead people through uh, sort of the steps you have to do to get a, to get a access to someone. So let's uh, you got your computer there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that Jack Benny, uh, there's a file on Jack Benny. Jack Benny is one of my favorite comedians. I know my millennial listeners have no idea who Jack Benny is. <laughs> they just turned this off is yeah. what they just did when you just said Jack Benny. They're like, oh, Jack Benny, that's Please great. Please don't turn that's it off. Yeah. yeah. That's you, really interesting. He was like the... Who's <laughs> Who's a young comedian today, D? Just please talk about 2019 content. <laughs> so he's the Dane Cook of the 1920s. <laughs> Dane Cook is not even the Dane Cook of the day. See, I'm Dane myself. You're just showing how old you are. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm an Xer, man. All right, anyway, Jack Benny was very funny back in the day, all right? And he was born in, I believe, Waukegan, grew up in Waukegan, and he went on and became a big star. Uh, but apparently the FBI was gathering information on Jack Benny. Well, they kept it on him. And here's here's what was going on with that. And, that, you know, some of the stuff, like I said, is sort of, you, maybe there's some vague idea you had of, of somebody and then the file sort of expands on that idea or it reminds you, oh, yeah, 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 I remember reading about this or whatever. But Benny was like totally new to me and uh, in terms of the information. So there was, <laughs> I'm going to have this maybe a little off because it, it was actually very confusing. But uh, back in the, I think, 30s, so Jack Benny and George Burns, right? They're big uh, sort of radio stars and then obviously becoming TV and, you know, movie and comedians and all that. And so, but they were still very famous at the time. There was some smuggling operation, like where jewels and like diamonds or gold or just valuables were smuggled, supposedly, I think from Europe maybe France and there was some ref reference to France in there, but uh, I'm not sure if that was the only place, whatever it was somehow <laughs> those guys ended up like getting jewelry through this smuggling operation and maybe for their wives or something like that. And maybe they didn't know, or maybe they did. I, it's sort of unclear, but either way they got, they got charged. Um, and one went on trial, one pled guilty. They ended up, I think with just a fine, nobody went to prison or anything, but it was this crazy thing and it was covered by the, the, the papers at the time. And so that's in there. And, um, oh, there were some other things about Benny too. Now I can't remember exactly, but it was, but that was like, wait, what? Like, you know, 
he, he, he almost went to prison. So um, I did not know that story. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of it's pretty wild. And that's in the file that yeah. you've discovered. Yeah. All right. So to get a hold of that, uh, how do you do what? So what do you do? You go to uh, you go to suntimes.com uh-huh. or you can Google just sometimes and FBI files and it'll pop up or you can go to the sun, suntimes.com and then the uh, the top bar where it's got sort of like different headings. You can go to more and scroll down to FBI files. Um and that's where it is. It's, it's, it's got its own sort of like sub page landing page at the sun times. And it's got stories, you know, not just the database is sort of the, the sun, but revolving around the sun are sort of these, uh, orbiting stories that, uh, a couple of which we featured, um, as well. And Sunday, um, uh, that we're in which we broke out, you know, uh, a piece about, uh, Cardinal Cody and, um, uh, as well as, um, uh, oh, another topic, which was about one thread that ran through numerous files. And that's the thing. It's not, you know, it's, I mean, the FBI obviously does, you know, you know, have a function beyond just, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, sort of naughty things they did back in the day. You know, they, they, you know, if, if somebody was being threatened or extorted or something, I mean, they did it, they investigated. So crime victims and stuff like that are included in there too, including a lot of, um, uh, politicians. Who, All right. Now let's, let's yeah. get into that. Uh, Leon Dupre, you mentioned him earlier and it's, and he's featured in the article that, uh, you wrote on September 15th. I'm just a bit of a pre- uh, introduction reminding folks, uh, Bob already uh, said this, but Leon Dupre was the alderman, uh, from the fifth ward, uh, in Hyde Park from, I think 1955 to 1977. He was an outspoken liberal. Uh, he, pushed hard for uh, open housing. He was always getting Mayor Daley, old man Mayor Daley, mad at him uh, because he was for open, transparent government. He was for reform. He was for having uh, blacks uh, in uh, opening up city government to hire black people. Uh, again, open housing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He was against the war in Vietnam. Uh, he marched against the war in Vietnam and spoke out against Daley's and the 68 riots. Uh, a- anything liberal at the time, we would call it progressive today but liberal at the time uh he was at the front lines a courageous guy in my humble opinion there should be more of him uh obviously the fbi doesn't share my opinion of uh, leon dupre uh and uh, when he was a young man uh, he was hanging out with socialists i believe he was spent time in mexico i want to say um but there was a file uh on leon dupre and what did you find in that file yeah i mean it was pretty standard stuff i mean they they looked to see whether he was a communist um and uh they kept tabs on him you know because he was a rebel rouser you know was in the old term and uh so uh that was it It, one one thing that was in there that i did not know and maybe you knew but uh that dupre was actually shot at one time and uh yeah and it was like so because part of why i focused on him really was not so much the communism stuff just because i mean i mentioned it in my story the other day but um you know, but it was just, uh, he sort of, uh, represented, I mean, there, there were a lot of things that were sort of in there about him, but he was a sort of singular figure of opposition. And so, um, so he got a lot of threats too. So aside from just stand being a lone wolf in terms of reform, a lot of times he, he also, you know, fielded a lot of death threats or whatever. And I've got this one, I think this is the one that's, um, in the paper, but that he got this letter that said, your days are numbered the day that communistic gun bill is enacted and assigned the Minutemen. Mm-hmm. So, and what's ironic, if I understand this correctly, is that I think the communistic gun bill that he's referring to, or th- that the, th- the person giving the threat is referring to, was actually proposed by 
Mayor Daley at the time. So like, I think, so in other words, I believe that that was something they were both on the same page on, you know, some sort of gun restrictions or whatever. And so, um, you know, but so he got the threat and then he ended up some point during his career, he got shot, but it was not through a threat or anything like that. But it's referenced in the FBI point. It was a couple of kids, I think, stuck him up and one of them shot him. He survived. He's, and I think he, I think they caught the kids and then he declined to press charges because yes. he thought, you know, um, you know, Hey, these kids need, they need a, a chance and they need to, you know, need some help here. They don't need to rot in prison. And it was a very enlightened view at the time. And it's also, I mean, it's very interesting here. If you saw the news just from today about the kids up in Lake County, who the charges were dropped on, you know, they were charged with murder cause they were doing, you know, doing some stuff, uh, allegedly in one of their Co, uh, cohorts got uh, killed mm-hmm. and um, so they originally charged with murder and blah 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 so I mean it's it's an interesting topic yeah that uh, continues uh, to be timely uh, is there any evidence when you look through the Leon Dupre file and that's one file that I will be uh, looking through that the FBI shared the information they gathered with Mayor Daly uh, Mayor Richard J. Daly in other words were they using information uh, they gathered on Mayor Daly's opponent to uh went over Mayor Daley by sharing it with him. I didn't see anything about that. I mean, it could be in there, um, but nothing nothing jumped out at me. You know, keep in mind, though, also, um, I believe at the time, right, the Red Squad was still around. So, I mean, that's the Red Squad being a secret secret unit or a almost secret police type unit within Chicago Police Department that also did domestic spying um, and, uh, you know, for, for years under the first Mayor Daley. And uh, so, I mean, um, I'm not, you know, I... I have to admit there's there's um, limited information that I know about, you know, the interaction with that first mayor daily and the FBI. I mean, I'm not sure how much he even needed him. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, Bobby Robbins decided that you're going to dedicate uh, a good portion of your time to collecting these files. I applaud you for doing this. I appreciate you for doing this. Um, I, I, sh- I, sh- I have a strong appreciation for any journalist who's unafraid uh, to expose his utter obsessive behavior. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> uh, having been made fun of for many years about my obsessiveness and my obsessive behavior. But I'll close with asking you this question. Uh, as you gather these files, uh, as you continue to gather these files, as you read the information in these files, does your attitude um, toward the FBI get more negative, uh, more positive? Do you start to see a point in what they're doing? Uh, are you enraged by what they're doing? What's sort of your general attitude toward the FBI? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think like anything, you have mixed feelings. Um, like I told you, I mean, throughout this process, currently now, 21st century, I mean, th- minor actions with them throughout this project has been professional and you know, positive, um, you know, government in general, I cover government. I'm an investigative reporter. I mean, government is imperfect. I know I'm not making excuses in any way. I mean, this is what I do for a living. And, uh, so it fits in with everything I know about government, you know, sometimes there's self-preservation, sometimes oftentimes rule bending. And, um, uh, you know, uh, so that's, these certainly reinforce that, um, not limited to the FBI, you know, there, there were, <laughs> You know, God, you, let's do another show. I could talk about City Hall, you know, and the illegal activities that, you know, um, have allegedly occurred there under different regimes. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, um, you know, certainly not limited to them. But, yeah, there was a very dark era for the FBI for, for a long time. And these records definitely reflect that. Uh, when will the next uh, 
story in your uh, i guess this will be it's not like a re, uh, a regular uh serial but when's the next story coming out don't know within probably a week or two we'll have another one so they're going to be you know the the database will be updated as we get the files and then we'll be doing regular stories to highlight aspects of those files or interesting things that are found in the files and then they'll sort of you know circle around and promote the the database so it'll be uh, regular but not any sort of uh, calendar at this point well i i'm a, a fan i appreciate again you doing this i'll be taking the deep dive myself uh probably this weekend i'm probably going to write my own story about stuff i find uh in the fb file fbi files and don't worry i'm going to give you credit i'm not <laughs> one of those writers that doesn't give the other guy credit uh you just definitely deserve a lot of credit uh for doing this bob herga by the way i want to urge you i've urged every reporter who's coming into this studio have you seen the the movie official secrets yet no have you heard about yes it? well it's a really good movie because when i was listening to your answer about the fbi i was thinking to a, a moment in the movie and this is a movie about a whistleblower for who works for british secret service my listeners have been hearing me talk about this movie all week because i just saw it last weekend and uh, she basically is a spy she listens on people's private phone conversations and uh, reads their mail etc to gather intel on them and at one point uh she uh, becomes a whistleblower because she 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 learns that the uh, United States wants her to spy on UN delegates to get blackmail blackmail information that they use to force them to vote for the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. All right, and so she makes it a distinction. It's when she's being interrogated by the police, they say to her, "Who are you to suddenly uh, get so high and noble, uh, high and mighty?" about spying on people. You spy on people all the time. And her response is that if I'm spying on people so that I could prevent an act of violence, an act of terror, that's one thing. But if I'm spying on people so I can get information to uh, get force them to uh, endorse a war for which there is no motive, that goes against my conscience. And I thought that was a pretty interesting distinction mm-hmm. there. Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying, Bob? Yeah, that is interesting. It's an interesting distinction. So I'm sure there's some FBI agents who thought, I'm doing the right thing because ultimately I'm protecting the public from people who I'm might sure. be up to no good. Yeah. Uh, but I think they crossed the line at some point and just started collecting information just to have the information, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. So anyway, that's my thoughts on the FBI. Bob Herger, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. That's the end of another great Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody. That's correct. The initials FBI conjure up distinct images of J. Edgar Hoover, Tommy Guns, and gangsters. But behind closed doors, you'll mainly find records. The FBI keeps A to Z files on people, places, and events, many of which become public over time. The Chicago Sun-Times has been collecting bureau files as they pertain to Chicago and Illinois, all compiled in a new database. Featuring religious figures and their followers, politicians, the media, and the mob, the villains, and the victims. This is FBI Files by the Chicago Sun-Times. Start your search today at suntimes.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. 
Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.